Greetings, my nerds, and welcome to the final episode of our Game of Thrones coverage here on the Northwest Nerd Podcast. My name is Nick Jarin. And I am Dyer, the broken hearted over Game of Thrones, Oxley. Very soon, we will be back on our usual schedule and coverage, but first, our watch must end, and to help us out is an old friend of the show. You might recognize her from joining us during the first episode of this throne season. Rosen Saez, associate editor at Seattle Met Magazine. So let's waste no time. Let's get right into it. One final time. Valar Padcastus. All men must podcast. That, my friends, is the sound of special edition Fender guitars, and this is a special edition of Northwest Nerd. We're talking all about Game of Thrones today for the final time, and graciously helping us out, bookending the season for us, is Rosen Saez. Rosen, thanks for being here again. Hello! Thank you for having me. What we're going to do is recap and discuss the latest episode, the finale, uh, series finale, but we're also going to talk about the series and story as a whole, so really quick... Let's do one last recap of episode six, season eight, The Iron Throne. We start off with Tyrion touring the destruction of King's Landing with Jon before leaving Jon and everyone else behind so that he can go find out the fate of his brother and sister. Jon continues to walk the streets and comes upon Grey Worm and some Unsullied just getting ready to execute some Lannister soldier prisoners. And after a tense moment, Jon uh, tries to stop them, but then relents and goes to find Daenerys to talk about it instead. And at this point, it's it's really moody so far. Like the first 10 minutes or so, it's almost like a monster movie where Daenerys and Drogon are unseen and all we see is the devastation that they've left behind. It's actually really effective in making her seem more villainous. Uh, Tyrion finds his siblings crushed beneath the rubble of the Red Keep and just balls his eyes out. Uh, what a season for Tyrion. You can tell that in this moment he has fully turned against his queen. And finally, outside... Danny and Drogon land in front of the arrayed fighting force led by Danny since her days in Essos. And we're treated to one of the most gorgeous shots we see in the entire series, I think, as we see Danny dismount Drogon. And then he spreads his wings behind her and she almost seems like an angel of death. Uh, then she gives her great, big victory speech to her Dothraki and unsullied forces in Dothraki and Valyrian, respectively. And she pledges to liberate the rest of the world, not just the Seven Kingdoms. And she elevates gray worm to be her master of war officially john Tyrion, and Arya are also watching this speech and growing more and more concerned the more that they see and this is definitely one of the more problematic scenes and problematic things that the show has done and is doing in the finale that's this big moment when we want to see daenerys as a villain and what they're really underscoring is how brown all of her followers are and how foreign she is from the white Westeroses, and we can get more into this later, but suffice it to say that I didn't expect that Cersei Lannister's propaganda would have been the truest to the actual characterization of our queen Daenerys Targaryen. Uh, at that point, Tyrion quits being hand to the queen in dramatic fashion and gets locked up for it. Arya sneaks up the steps and tells Jon that Danny can't be queen, and Jon goes to talk to Tyrion to hear basically the same thing that Arya said, but much more eloquently. Uh, Tyrion convinces Jon that he needs to kill Daenerys, and it honestly didn't seem to take much to convince him of that he seems like he knew already he just needed someone to voice it for him uh the thing left unsaid between them though is that there's not really a plan for after she's dead and things could even be worse than they were in the power vacuum left 
when King Robert Baratheon died. Elsewhere, Daenerys fulfills the final portion of her vision from the House of the Undying way back in Season 2 by walking into the throne room covered in ash, except this time she finally touches her ultimate prize, the Iron Throne. In the vision previously, she never made contact with it. And it's at this very moment that Jon confronts Danny about her soldiers killing prisoners and asks if she has been down on the ground to see the reality of what her actions have done to the city. They have a fraught exchange where Danny tries to convince Jon to go along with her actions and plans, but Jon uses their closeness as an opportunity to put an end to her. He stabs her right in the chest as they kiss. You get the uh, telltale just squelch sound from off, off camera. And Danny's death awakens her dragon. Drogon ominously comes up from below the Red Keep, and it seems like he might just toast Jon right then and there, but instead Drogon does some investigating, nudges his mother, tries to, tries to wake her up, and he's really doing some of the best acting of the entire season, I think. Briefly considers Jon's presence in the room and then lets out a mournful, rageful roar. It's heartbreaking and bone-chilling at the same time. Then he turns it up a notch further and lets out a fire blast like we've never seen before and just melts down the Iron Throne in what I thought was the most emotional scene in the entire episode. There's some really subtle, awesome animation going on there too. You can see Drogon actually scorch his own tongue and mouth with how hot and how sustained his fire blast is. He's so upset and destructive that he's hurting himself. Like I said, some of the best acting of the entire season. Then he scoops up Danny's body and flies off into the distance eastward, where he will presumably take Danny back to Old Valyria across the narrow sea, their shared ancient homeland. The screen fades to black, and we rejoin the story some weeks later. And the rest of this episode just zooms by and is basically a Wikipedia page version of a story, so I'm going to treat it appropriately and zoom right through the rest of it as well. Tyrion, who has been locked up for weeks, somehow convinces the top lords and ladies of the realm to embrace an elective monarchy with Bran the Broken as their first king of it. Sansa gets King Bran to allow the North to leave the Seven Kingdoms, making them six kingdoms. King Bran makes Tyrion his hand. Jon Snow gets sent to the North to rejoin the reconstituted Night's Watch, where he reunites with Tormund and Ghost. Hooray. Arya sets sail for whatever is west of Westeros. Nobody knows. The Unsullied, or at least a portion of them, sailed to Noth, Missandei's homeland, along with Grey Worm. The Dothraki presumably go back to Essos. We don't really know. We just see them walking around the docks and possibly loading onto ships. Tyrion and Bran get to work. Sorry. Tyrion and Bran get to work ruling the Six Kingdoms with a small council comprised mostly of their buds, the Master of Coin, Bronn of Highgarden, Master of Ships Davos Seaworth, Lord Commander Brienne of the Kingsguard, and Grand Maester Samuel Tarly. No word of where Drogon went, but Bran says he'll track him down. So who died this episode? Really, there's just one big signature death. Queen Daenerys Targaryen, the Stormborn, the Breaker of Chains, the Mother of Dragons. It sucked. Initial reactions. Uh, Dyer, let's start with you. I, I feel like, especially with everybody's emotions running high around this last season and episode, I'm going to be the biggest meh in the room. <laughs> Um, like I, I saw that this is where we're going to go. We're going to have Daenerys be the mad queen. You know, we're going to have John be the guy that's not the mad king. You know, this is going to be like the opposing forces. So I guess I just wasn't surprised at all when I saw it. I was like, all right, that happened. And I just, I don't know. I kind of, at that point, I kind of just eased on in and just, I don't I, I, I feel like I was kind of checked out. When, when I was watching it, to be quite honest. Here's what's wild is I kind of agree with you. Yeah. I kind of hit my emotional crescendo after um, The Long Night 
when they had the Battle of Winterfell. That's when I was most upset, I think, after uh-huh. that episode. And by this one, I was like, well, it's going to be whatever right. it is. Yeah. It, it's kind of, I feel that it's not just this episode or that moment where I feel like I should have felt something more. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I was just watching this show and I'm poking myself with like a knife just so I could feel something, you know, like dark. The, uh, the the season, the episode, the moments in the episode, Game of Thrones used to be um, like afterwards, you'd be like, yeah, and then that happened, and then this happened, and then this, ha- and then they did this, and yeah. that happened. Yes. And then that, finally at the end of this episode, I was like, well, that happened. Like that's that's kind of this <laughs> the sentiment that I that I had. So I guess I, that doesn't really give any I think expert insight into it, but. It's, I'm sorry. That's honestly how I feel. I think that's how a surprising number of people felt. Rosen, how did you feel about this last one? Well, you guys are bumming me out, first of all. So. <laughs> sorry. Cool start. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I partially agree with you. Like, there is, like, a little bit of, like, not a numbness towards it. But ultimately, I think it was a really well-done scene. Um, it, it, You weren't expecting expecting it like Danny let her guard down I think as a watcher as the audience I also let my guard down and so you know that that stab that John delivered also you know, felt a little bit like a stab um just to to the story um <laughs> to the treatment of this franchise uh, but to the treatment of their female characters <laughs> basically and so with that, it was a well-done scene. I mean, a lot can be said about things happening too quickly in this kind of moment where, you know, earlier this season, like, she was his queen no matter what. And they, you know, in a couple of episodes, two to three episodes, developed, you know, her as this ultimate villain and John ultimately having to concede to that uh, reality. So, I mean, and again... There's like the pacing thing that I think people have gone over and over on, you know, the internet a lot. So I won't get into it. On this very podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But overall, like a really, really well done scene. And like I said, it was just like, you know, that that stab, that unexpectedness, that letting of her guard down um, to somebody she trusted, the audience letting their guard down to, you know, people they trusted as well, you know, the characters, Danny, John, um, the showrunners, you know, a lot of, you know, connections there. But yeah, that was my initial reaction. Hearing you say that, I don't want to backtrack too much on what I said that maybe there was something I really wasn't giving credit there. And I think there's certain things that were filmed in this. Um, I think I'm talking mostly about cinematography here. Yeah. That scene, I think, is a good example. Um, the dragon, any scene with the dragons seemed to be a good example. The soldiers. It does seem to be filmed very, very well and very, very well picturesque. You this know? was, I think, the best looking season was this right, season. Right. They, I yeah. think that's really where they put a lot of their effort into. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. It did look very, very uh, just just well laid out. It's very pretty. I almost feel like you can take stills of a lot of this and frame them and put them on your wall. I want to talk about Danny becoming the villain of this entire thing because I found myself rooting for her even in that last episode. I was like, okay, you've done this terrible thing. Own it and like go forward from there. And I was, and maybe this says something about like my weakness towards like a strongman type dictatorship perhaps and like my the likelihood that I could get swept up in something in, like that um 
but I was I was still rooting for her. I was like, this is still Daenerys. She still believes that she has the moral compass to do this thing. And if this is the worst thing that she ever does, then she could stop, probably still bring a lot of good into the world after it, I think. And I, it became more a question of perspective than action to me because she's done really cruel and violent things in the past and everyone cheered her on. But this time, because we saw it through Tyrion and Jon's eyes, we weren't cheering her on. Or at least they didn't want us to. Yeah, dovetail off of that a little bit. When it happened in Westeros, it was too far. And yes, like the numbers, the carnage was, yeah. you know, by far the the worst um, on the show and kind of on her, you know, campaign to, um, you know, King's Landing throughout this entire series. Um, but they've seen her do th- terrible things to, yes, you know, slave owners who, you know, deserved that. But they've seen her do a lot of things to just people in other countries. And they're like, well, you know, not so bad. We could let her have like a little bit, like play with her food a little bit. And it was okay. It was like, I guess, passable. Um, And again, it's hard to compare these two situations, you know, because of sheer number and sheer destruction. However, especially when it, you know, hits closer to home, we can see that through Tyrion's eyes when he sees Jamie and Cersei underneath the Red Keep. It's not like he had a, a lot of love for Cersei, and I imagine he was crying much more over Jamie than his sister. But you kind of see just the close connection to all of these characters who, you know, loved their Westerosi, you know, fellows more so than any other people that she had taken down yeah there's also a certain amount of these victims were white to me it's like they they were okay with her waging her foreign wars but when she brought it to westeros it became suddenly like she was killing real people Mm -hmm. and that's a huge problem that i have with the way that they framed the entire perspective around her because she used to be she used to be our point of view character in those places. Like we weren't getting the Dothraki perspective on Daenerys, which probably would have been pretty terrified for most of it. She did some pretty terrible things to Dothraki culture writ large. She murdered every single call there uh, and then took them away from their homeland being like, we're going to go, we're going to go conquer some more stuff. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Which seemed badass at the time, but mostly because we were seeing it through Daenerys's eyes. And this is like literally the one time when we don't see her badassery through her eyes and I'm sorry to like frame it so callously because she did kill like who knows how many tens of thousands of people. But I think that that change in perspective is the main reason or the main mechanism for making her a villain now because she's always she's always been super violent and people were naming their kids after her. It sounds odd to say this because I think the show always obviously plays with this, you know, blurry lines of morality. You know, you, sometimes yeah. people are good. Sometimes people are bad. You like them now, even though they're jerks. The The thing with Daenerys, though, is every single time that we would see her be bloody and vicious, there was this moral line that kind of justified it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we're going to go take down this city. I forget exactly what was it, Korth? That is, um, I'm saying the city wrong, um, but... Um. Karth, she didn't take over. Karth, no. she mostly just left Which was the slave town. after killing uh, Zaro Zoandoxus. Yeah. Locking him up in his own safe. But, but I mean, the, you that's might be the thinking thing is, of um, Marine. Yeah. She sacked, uh, mostly by freeing the slaves there. Right. And then she uh, one slaves. of the slaves. Not Pentos. Which one was the other one? Lys? 
One of the cities in Essos, right. anyway. I can't remember the other one. She, you know, she frees slaves and she takes on the masters, right? I think people can see kind of like this line there, right? That, okay, we're being vicious, but we're meeting power with power. We're meeting violence with violence type thing. I think in, from a storytelling perspective, we can glide along with that, along down the road. And then in this case, they made this point of saying, oh, well, now the war is over, but we're still going to destruct people. And I think that's what a lot of people get hung up on mainly because it's almost like it happened at the snap of a finger. And I mentioned this before with not laying down seeds to say, now you're evil. You know, it almost seems like, okay, now we're just going to do it. Yeah, like, the the entire point of the show is that like one action doesn't determine in a, a person's right. entire character. Jamie Except Lannister if you're being, Targaryen, apparently. Yeah, Jamie you know. Lannister being the greatest example of that, but then the show decided, no, it does. Right. One action does it. To, to be more charitable to the show, let me... Let me reframe my interpretation of it. So we've always talked about the dragons as weapons of mass destruction. Um, I think it was last episode when we talked about she basically nuked King's Landing, right? With if they had followed through on it, similar political implications of saying, look, I have this weapon that can do this. Nobody else mess with me. Everybody go along with what I have to say because there's this looming threat at all times. In some way, that's America as a superpower, right? We hold our nuclear weapons over the rest of the world. In, in a lot of ways. And what they did was decide to say, well, what if we someone dropped a nuclear bomb on our homeland? How would we deal with that? Because I think that we as American TV watchers and American citizens expect like the rest of the world to just deal with the fact that we do that at all times, just have this, uh, this mechanism for destroying the entire world if we want to. Yeah. And they have to deal with it. And what if someone did hit our homeland in that same way, like how would we react? We would immediately try to take down that person and just like vilify them, call them an axis of evil, I'm sure, or something like that. So maybe they're trying to make some larger point about like how likely we are as Americans to go along with tyranny. I don't know. It's kind of funny. I see where you're going with that. And I think a lot of people will go there. I think a lot of people go other places. And this is where I'm a jerk. I don't give the showrunners D D enough credit <laughs> to even think that deeply. I was gonna I, say I don't that know. is I'm a just, charitable take. I'm just trying yeah. to help. charitable. I, I think that when they had the guidance of the books where they could go that deeply, maybe, that you have like some background on that. I just I feel like um because like the whole well marine storyline was do it. the whole marine storyline was partly allegorical of our occupation of Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, like we went in there as these liberators. She even says she even calls herself a liberator in the show, mm-hmm. but then gets bogged down in having to run this country. And obviously, it didn't last as long in the show as it does in the books. But you get bogged down having to deal with the day to day afterwards right. of nation building and things like that. Like there's there's plenty in the show that still speaks to the world around it. But I think that sometimes we get so into the lore that we forget to pull back and yeah. look at the rest of the I think this. that happened to me definitely because I just got, that's what I think I got buried into is the lore. Um, it's funny. I feel like I have more of these conversations when we talk about like Star Trek or sci-fi. Maybe that's more tangible to me. Well, sci-fi um, lends to it better than yeah. fantasy does too. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. When I go into these like later seasons, I feel like just slowly and slowly a lot of the stuff I could kind of really get into just faded away and I feel like maybe the show became something else you know just like it became Game of Thrones light Game of Thrones light yeah yeah Game of Thrones the beach read Mm. yeah like everything is shocking 
But like was it's it, not as much into the details anymore. It, yeah, not into the details. It wasn't just that. It just seemed like there was a very tangible miscalculation, a very tangible mishandling of this property of this story. Mm-hmm. And the okay, so the only I had to look this up earlier just to make sure I wasn't screwing it up. This is the only thing I can liken it to. Okay, <laughs> yeah. Do you ever watch Felicity? No. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> this is starting off just, so strong. Okay. Hit me. <laughs> the, um, this was one of J.J. Abrams' first shows on TV. Is back in like the late '90s, early 2000s. On the WB. Uh, yeah. Um, it might have been like UPN at that point or something. Like way back in the day. Um, it was all about uh, you know a, a girl goes to college and she's you know attracted to this boy, but this boy's attracted to this girl, but that girl's really attracted to this boy, but that boy's attracted to this boy. And it's like this whole, you know, like love octagon thing that's going on. And, oh, but she also has to pass her finals and things like that. Like, that's the story that we're dealing with. It's very like college Dawson Creek-esque, right? Mm -hmm. And um, they do four seasons of that. And, you know, they're working in coffee shops. It was kind of like very modern, very hip. This is what the kids are into these days. All right, that's the show we have for four seasons. And in the fourth season, the final season, J.J. Abrams, I think, discovered some new interest or something like that because all of a sudden, Felicity time travels because she meets a witch. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. She meets a witch that does a spell and she throws her, because her, her life and her college year, that year went totally to crap and she didn't get the guy she wanted or, or and they, did, I don't know, they broke up or something. I don't know. She goes back in time to do kind of like this quantum leap, put right what once went wrong type scenario and she relives the year. Right. So it's it, that. That's what I feel like when I've seen. I had no idea this show had this element to it. Yes. Um. So I kind of feel like that almost is a little bit of a betrayal of what Felicity was. I'm not really all that into the show. I'm just yeah, really. Sure. I'm just really <laughs> well aware like. of this very interesting twist that they put in it, and I feel almost like when I entered the latter parts of Game of Thrones, the more and more I look back on it. The more and more I feel like, did you, should you have really done a lot of this stuff? Like, did you really just not understand the show that you had mm-hmm. and then do essentially a weird time travel-y type thing and just bring us along? But we didn't get it because this is fantasy. Like, you just mishandled everything towards the end. And, I mean, I say that because, like... I didn't want to see Danny die. I knew that was what was going to happen. I actually didn't want to see Danny do the whole Mad Queen thing. I understand that's where they're probably going with it. I didn't. I didn't like that kind of very generic storyline, you know. And and I was on board because I figured, okay, this is simplistic, and that's what we're going to do. And I guess I'll see them finish it out. But I feel like they felicitied it a little bit at the end of this. So maybe that's the best way I can put it. I like that question. A lot. Yes. <laughs> Very important. Okay. Is, in this case, Cersei Felicity because she gets a bad haircut later (laughs) on? (laughs) Think about it. I think Arya might be the best Felicity in this scenario. I really have not watched the show that much, despite my (laughs) my metaphor. I really wish I had a Gilmore Girls metaphor, but it just didn't happen. Uh, well, let's let's do this really quickly. Uh, we had some other people come in and help yeah. us along the way throughout this season of Game of Thrones. Wanted to pause really quick because Dyer actually got them on the phone. 
uh, ahead of this episode, and we got their reaction to the final episode and the ending of the series as well. Nick Allard, Seattle's nerdiest meteorologist. You've seen the final episode of the final season of Game of Thrones. What say you? Oh, gosh. Uh, just frustration, I think, honestly. Um, I do like the way they made the Stark kids come out on top. I mean, mostly Stark kids. Uh, I don't like that the entire future of the governing body of Westeros took 15 minutes to figure out. I don't like that Bran knew it was coming and maybe that was his plan all along. I don't care for the quick Daenerys turn. Um, I think I just feel the worst about John, even though, again, I didn't expect him to be king. I didn't think he'd be screwed over the way he was. Just that he gets, he's the one that has to kill her. And then he gets sent to the wall, even though there's no purpose for the wall anymore. And then he just leaves and he's, he's got nothing. He's got no one. But then at the very end, he decides to just go north with the, with the rest of the crew. So I just, I don't know. I, I, I didn't find it, uh, rewarding for him i think he got the the bad end of the stick for having after having done so much he just sort of became yeah yeah i don't know i'll go there whatever overall impressions of just how game of thrones ended um i like that they quote unquote broke the wheel i think that it was okay it just rushed how about that okay but rushed jamala henderson it's been a couple episodes since we last spoke to you a lot has happened in the game of thrones since then uh, how are you feeling? So here's kind of how I felt. Um, I guess I agree with the segment of folks that basically said they didn't feel like there was enough um, like character development to get Daenerys to the point where she was the Mad Queen. I felt like it was a very quick turn. But then again, I felt like Anakin's turned into Darth Vader was quick, too. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to complain too much about it. I, but overall, I was really happy with the endings for the Stark kids. Um, Sansa, Queen in the North, Yang, Arya going off to discover what's west of Westeros, big Yay, and Jon heading up north. I don't know if he was, like, free, because really, what did happen to the Night's um, Watch? I mean, were they, <laughs> was there even a Night's Watch? Right. If he's going on to be King of the North, or the North North, you know, um, maybe the King Beyond the Wall is a better phrase. I'm all for it. I like it King that. of the North North. King of the North North, the North of the North, yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts of the final episode was Drogon burning the throne. I saw it as, you know, him saying that throne destroyed her. You know, not even John destroyed her, but the throne destroyed her. Um, it, I feel like the final season was kind of a letdown for all of the amazing buildup that we got to get to that point in the first place. My expectations were, before the season started, were very high, and they were more or less let down, but... I still enjoyed the ride. You know what I'm saying? And and I'm going to move on. Like, I'm not going to, like, get angry at, um, you know, the showrunners for whatever they chose to do or anything like that. I'm grateful for entertaining stories, as what did Tyrion say in the last episode? Like, um, everybody loves a great story. I think what's weighing me down is, am I going to find another story that's going to engage me as much as Game of Thrones did? You know? Have faith. Picard, Picard is just around the corner. You never oh know. Oh, my God. I can't wait for that. That's going to be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so that guy named John 
from About to Review podcast. You've seen Game of Thrones. What mm-hmm. do you think? Um, <laughs> this show has now entered the territory of shows like Lost, where I will never watch the last like season or two, possibly again. And if I want to go back to it, I will only watch the first couple seasons. Uh, just like my parents said to me often growing up, they were not mad, they were disappointed. <laughs> Very disappointed with how the series ended, how this last season and a half was just written so poorly. It was rough. Is there anything that you can come away and say, well, I like the way they wrote this? I mean, is there anything like that out there for you? Technical issues aside as far as Battle of Winterfell being a little bit dark, I get that. But the cinematography of this season was breathtaking. Um, some of the dialogue was actually well done. Like, that was well written. It was the overall writing and the overall finale that was disappointing. Any final thoughts about John and or Danny, which seems to be where the wealth of hot takes are? Everybody kind of called that one, that John was going to kill Danny. I, I have no problems with that. In that scene, if I had been writing it in my fan brain, it would have gone differently. I would have loved to see Drogon for him to look at John, breathe fire on him, and then John is the unburnt. Or as the throne is melting, you see John look at it. There is one sword left. He pulls it out. Boom, he was the prince who was promised Azora High with Lightbringer. Danny's switch was just so quick and so weird. Not even switch. That is her character. Fire and blood, true to it. Again, you and I can write it. Why not? Yeah, fan fiction. That's what that's there for. Exactly. One little point I think Jamal just hit upon there about being angry at the showrunners. I kind of agree with that. Like, I'm not. Like, I can kind of give them poo-poo for some stuff, but I'm not going to sign a petition to, like, try to get this whole thing, like, remade at this point. Like, I don't know. That just seems a little bit... The petition is pretty pretty childish. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you, we can all demand whatever we want, but who's going to pay for it and who's going to produce that thing? Yeah. It's yeah. exhausting, and how do you know that it would be better? Yeah. Um Especially since these Completely. kids kind of grew up and went through puberty on the show. And I think they're still developing as people. If you try to go do it now, there's gonna it's going to be very obvious that, you know, Bran is now 28 years old or something. Well, I think that the toughest thing about demanding more of this show was that everybody who did it sounded absolutely miserable about making this final season. <laughs> Everyone hated doing the Battle of Winterfell. Like there was that huge yeah. Entertainment Weekly piece that came out where they were previewing it and everything, mm-hmm. and everyone's comments were just about how miserable it was to to work like only during the dark hours of the day, spend yeah. like six hours in makeup before all of that anyway, and then go out there and like just be exhausted for a month and a half straight, and Sleep then in the day, yeah, work at night. Everyone they ta- spoke to, from the actors to anybody, you know creating and being a part of production and on the set we're like i would never literally never do something like this again they know that about themselves they needed a lot of tea to keep going i guess lots of tea lots of tea to go or i guess water Water bottles bottles. in this last one yeah (laughs) that one i actually i think was a thing when i looked at the video footage of that one i think there was a water bottle there that they spotted i'm not so sure about his hand 
I never got the impression that that was like a real hand. Oh, the Jamie's hand? Yeah, but the water bottle. I feel like everybody's looking for it I just wish that this entire meme had come up earlier in the show because there's plenty of instances of it, but none of of them blew up like the coffee cup did. Oh, yeah. Which was so great. Yeah. Let's get to some of our categories that we usually do before we zoom out and do uh, talk about the series as a whole. Throne Watch. We know who's going to sit the, well, I guess it's not the Iron Throne anymore, but whatever the throne is now. King Bran the Broken. No surname, no family name, because he's not a Stark. And not even a good nickname. Not even a good nickname either. Couldn't have like taken a beat to try some other things out. Bran the like three-eyed raven, the seer. Yeah, I know. Like the three-eyed raven is such a cool name, and they went with Bran the Broken. Titles, titles, titles. They're important. I I want to talk about this choice because I felt like it was done more for shock than anything else. This is a character who wasn't on the show for an entire season because they didn't know what to do with him and they never explain his powers. We don't like when he has his whole, why do you think I came down here moment? Yeah. Like I chuckled at it, but then I was like, wait, why did you come all the way down here? You let millions of people die before you made your move to become King. And then you're going to let Tyrion rule in your stead anyway. Like, why are you here? dude? It was especially what are you doing? Because so Many times they've had this conversation with Bran. It's like, I don't want anymore. I'm not a Stark. Like, I just don't desire things. I am the three-eyed raven, full stop. That is who I am. And then for him to be like, why do you think I came here all this way? We're like, I don't know. Yeah, that it created a gap. Odd. Very odd. Huge gap. Created a gap for me because Bran was doing this whole thing about I'm not even a man now or like mostly what did, I forget yeah. what he said. Look at you. You're a man now. Yeah. Almost. Then he acted very engaged. Like at the very end, they're actually, he's actually socially connecting with people like he yeah. wasn't before. And now he's saying like, Oh, I'll go. I'll maybe I'll go find the dragon when I go off behind my eyes or whatever. Completely like, different person. Yeah. And, and now he's being all, you know, I'm can be a king and, and talk with people normally. Like that I did not that get and that. in that scene, I felt like they were setting us up to think that it was going to be Sansa because Tyrion's like, it's the person with the best story. And I was like, oh, Sansa Stark. She's already got the veil behind her. The North is behind her. She's overcome so much and risen to be the most powerful person in the largest region of the Seven Kingdoms. She's got a great story. And then he's like, Bran the Broken. I was like, the guy who you can't explain what he is? <laughs> That's a terrible story. Terrible I, story. I, I know. and I, No I, one knows what the Three-Eyed Raven is. I'll hot take this. I think Arya has the best story, frankly, that, you know. Not enough people know her story. She did, nobody knows the story, but she went everywhere yeah. secretly. Yeah. She takes people's faces. I meant in terms of like yeah. putting forth a new monarch. I yeah. thought for sure it was going to be Sansa. Yeah, but I mean, I think they also covered it in the uh, with the previous episode, where they're basically saying, "Well, you know, he's got a penis, so he gets the throne." You know, I think think Tyrion. Was Sansa pointed out it don't work though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they were like, we need to make that clear. They were very yeah. clear about. Well, I that. guess that's true because he said that's the wheel our queen wanted to break, and so it didn't yeah. matter. So yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good. Point. Yeah, let's talk about this new system of government because well, it's just to piggyback on top of the Sansa being like the obvious choice connected to other like political voting powers that happened in which they're like, "Mm, women aren't electable or whatever. I mean, I know the show's not deliberately saying it, but like you can just like, you start to draw conclusions and you think about what you see, you know, in our reality, in our world and say like, you see an obvious choice. You see someone who has proven leadership, who has done the job before, has proven their 
um, ability to govern, who is well-liked, um, is popular, has, like you said, a lot of people behind her already, and they're like, going to pass on you. So again, so strange, disappointing. Can I throw yeah. one question out there? Please. Do we think, so if they did say Sansa, we pick you, mm-hmm. do you guys think Sansa would have taken it? Yes. Really? Yeah. I think she would have taken it, but in that moment, I think that she would take that opportunity to move the capital somewhere else. Or Whether it be secure, Winterfell or something else. Yeah. To secure, because she could have secured the independence of Winterfell that way, mm-hmm. but um, or just the north. I, it seemed to me like her her main drive during the last, this whole entire season was, we're independent, we're, you know, we're Bavaria, you know, we're very much our own entity. Nobody else can come in. For anybody who doesn't know what that is, Bavaria is very independent, but uh, they don't consider themselves part of Germany. They, uh, but yeah, like that's, that's their thing. We're the North, nobody else. So I guess that's, that's true. She could have just. But if they offered her like the overall throne. Right. She could have. I think she would have taken it. And then said Winterfell's capital. She would have taken it. She should have taken it if she were offered it. Let's talk about elective monarchies because this is not that much better of a system. Well, I felt like I was laughed down in that episode. (laughs) Because remember how I was saying like, (laughs) I was Sam. I was all like, yeah, maybe they'll do some sort of parliament or like lords get to vote or something like that, which I guess they're kind of doing that. But then everybody just laughed at him and I was like, oh, the show is laughing at me now. Okay, I see. But yeah, I guess that's, I don't know. It's different. It's another wheel. That's what I feel like. It's not, it, you broke one wheel, but you replaced it with another wheel. You reinvented the Yeah, wheel. they got rid of the terrible problem of the children of monarchs not being the best rulers and replaced it with uh, a system that historically has been plagued with high-level advisors who just run everything with the, the monarch just being there in name only. Um, so an unelected, unelected official ends up ruling everything anyway. And then uh, tons of corruption as that monarch ages out of effectiveness. And then whoever is ruling in their stead can do whatever they want and just say that the king or queen demanded it. And then there you go. It's like they traded one type of corruption for another. But you know what that means? Things didn't get that much better. You know what that means? If at all. I think things got worse. To be honest. More Game of Thrones. <laughs> There's more story yeah. also, left. Also, that that entire negotiation happens so quickly that they're like, yeah, you can have the North. doesn't have to be part of the realm anymore. I was like, what? Hold on. Because the Iron Islands also asked for that. Dorne is only there through like a marriage pact from only a couple generations ago. They should have asked for independence too. The Vale, like they're more closely aligned with Sansa than anybody. Uh, Bronzeon Royce has been following her around since season six with all of his soldiers who they brought in to win the Battle of the Bastards. I could foresee a future where Sansa marries Robin Aaron, who looks way better than he used to. Um, and then the Vale in the North just decide, well, let's just become one kingdom and then just like chip away at the six kingdoms that Bran is ruling. Because who is supporting Bran? What army does he have? He doesn't have anything. Where does his power come from other than those nine people saying I? It comes from his story. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. He has a terrible story. Like... <laughs> Also, historically in Westeros, the small folk, the, the the regular people, are very suspicious of magic and especially magical rulers. Um, this is this is one of the things that comes up time and time again. It's something that like the faith militant, for example, would have a huge problem with. The faithful people of the six kingdoms are not going to stand for this sorcerer being their king. 
Yeah. This entire thing is untenable. I don't know how Tyrion convinced anybody of this. It's a terrible plan. So we have more Game Tyrion's of next terrible plan. Yeah. All I'll say, and I agree with you, but just to as like a counterpoint to all of the arguments you make that make sense, uh, are valid. They're very fair. My only defense for Baran kind of taking on this role, not to say that I think he is the right choice, but all that we've seen from him, um, however creepily delivered it is, you know, he does, he had set up and talked about how he does not want, he does not really desire something. And I think one theme that they like draw out throughout the series and especially in the last seasons and episodes is that often the person who doesn't necessarily want it might be the best ruler. And so if Bran's talking about him not really wanting titles, not really wanting to be a part of, you know, like this ruling class, the Starks, having that name, I can at least draw the conclusion that he does not want power and power is what corrupts and it could be a really bad system and the system is what allows that corruption. However, if you do not desire the main thing that makes a person to be easily corrupted, then maybe that's an explanation for him being a decent choice. It, it's simple or simplistic to say he does not want and therefore is not a corruptible person. But I think that is what we are led to believe and have been led to believe throughout this last season. That's a good defense. I still disagree because Bran, even in his first small council meeting, incredibly hands off. He's like, well, I'm going to go look for a dragon. Do what you do, even though I know everything about everything. I'm not going to help you decide if like, we have enough money to build ships or brothels. Not my problem. It's very like, much- Does he foresee famines? Does he... like? Did... Never has he shown an ability other than the time that he gave the dagger to Arya, an ability to use his foresight and his ability to see the future to actually help create a good result. Because he let a lot of people die and knew they were going to die. Yeah, that sucked. That was bad. Bad move. Right? For sure. I think, I don't know, it kind of goes back to where Game of Thrones started with, uh, I mean, the initial king. Um, Robert Baratheon, right? He kind of was checked out, and all these other people were really running the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what kind of that felt was bad. Like. Yeah, and so Tyrion's essentially running the kingdom, and, and he wanted to too. Yeah, I mean that's essentially that's exactly what he's, what he's wanted ever since his first yeah. time being hand. He's like, I want to get back to which there. also doesn't make sense with the whole, uh, you know, uh, Grey Worm is is mad and he's got two prisoners. One of them gets to go north of the Wall, which he kind of liked it up there anyway. And then the other one gets also out of chains and gets to run a kingdom. Yeah, terrible negotiator. <laughs> yeah. They don't teach you that in Unsullied Camp. Yeah. And so, I don't know. That's another little thing. It, it, it kind of got me. But it, it, it's kind of funny. Both both your assessments of it, I, I can kind of, I'm listening to you guys and I'm like, yeah. And then I listen to you, Rose, and I'm like, yeah. And then the <laughs> Thank thing you, is. I appreciate that. I think, I think the thing is, though, is. The reason you can do that is because there was not enough foresight or planning or effort put into the writing of this episode that the skeleton, you could... Like the structure of like the right. skeleton wasn't there. Right. It's like a jellyfish. Yeah. And so <laughs> this is like a jellyfish show at the end to the point where you could you could probably throw anything out there and, and you know, maybe it will stick. It's just that 
I just don't think there's really anything. It was so rushed and it was so loose that that really they didn't land anything. They didn't plant any seeds to make any of this make sense. So I think at the end they could have done it. They could have made Tyrion and we could have all the same arguments there or we can have Sansa and people can even argue that there. It's just like they didn't really plant any seeds for any of this. They just kind of... I completely went, agree. Yeah. Um, payoff of the week. For me, it was Queen Sansa, mm-hmm. Queen of the North. That was really cool. I'm not crying, you're crying. Just obviously, the Drogon moment. I mean, Drogon. I think Drogon we all was, cried for Drogon, yeah. didn't we? The first time they really, aside from the whole dog watching you make out thing, um, they never really gave the dragons, I think, that much, you know, emotion. You know, like personality. It, personality. That's a better word. Drogon for it. always had the most personality of yeah. any of them, but I agree he that like they didn't spend much Danny. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was interesting, but um, for the most part, I don't think I have any. I have one thing, but I'm going to save it for later because it feeds into I think your not reckless speculation, but things you're looking forward to and things like that. So okay. Yeah. I All just right. want to shout out to I think one of the funniest moments of the episode which was when Edmure Teller was like maybe I'm you know I'm gonna stand up and make my case to you know put my name in the ring basically and Sansa's just like uncle please say you're like truly embarrassing the family didn't you even give him like a Lord Tully or anything like <laughs> uncle sit down that was another fake out I thought that he was getting up and like giving his own resume so that he's like so my word mean something when I say that Sansa should be queen. Like, I was faked out twice. I thought both people were going to say Sansa, and then no one did, and it was weird. Um, but anyway, let's zoom out and talk about this ending and what it means to this series and the story as a whole. I think when we look at this thing in its totality, does the ending change anything for you? Does it make you think that some things meant more than you thought they did before or some things meant less than you thought that they did before in terms of the story? I mean, I would say I understand the ending and I know that they had that to work with. And I think this just goes along and it connects to the fact that there wasn't like that muscle to hold like the skeleton of what the latter seasons of the show was um, and speaks to kind of like the timing of not having being able to like develop more moments and more story and more character um so i think that affects the ending in that it's not as effective but i understand how we got there i just wish we got there maybe more slowly a different way etc i agree with it i i think that i i can accept it i watched it it happened i i ate it i digested it i uh went to sleep that night I don't know. Like woke up the next day. I woke up the next day. People were talking about it. I didn't really even care to engage in that conversation. I didn't even care to have like that, you know, I can't believe Seinfeld's in jail. Like you know, like people like get mad about ending shows or or I, I knew Is that really... what happened at the end of Seinfeld? Yeah, they all end up in jail. Um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Or everybody's we're getting like, a lot of lots of pop culture endings yeah. this episode. Well, well the other one would be like, I knew it really wasn't about how he met the mother or something like that. Like, uh, yeah. you know, things like that. I, I At the end, I was just like, people were like, hey, what'd you think? I'm like, I watched it. You know, it was, I, it was, it was a show. I didn't even want to say it was good or bad because yeah. it wasn't really good or bad to me. I just, I guess I saw the ending and, and I accept it and now I will 
wait for everybody to give me the assessments of these books that despite what George R. R. Martin says, I still think they're mostly done or already done. Um, Whereas I think they're never coming out. Yeah, exactly. We might, um, we might get Winds of Winter. And I'm looking forward to the sp- to the spinoffs that they're obviously doing, it, it, the um, which we could probably talk about in a little bit later when we speculate. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when he says he's got like seven or eight things that are in the works on Hulu, History Channel, and HBO, there's that that covers more territory uh, than than what we just got with this whole prequel thing. So I think there's more out there. Mm-hmm. The ending, I think, a lot of dissatisfaction also connects to the lingering questions and unaddressed theories, prophecies, other parts of the story, both you know from the books, but also seeds that they had planted with in the show throughout the entire you know eight seasons of not getting that ending and i'm i'm definitely of a mind where endings shouldn't be always so perfectly tied up in a bow and satisfying for the audience um but i think that if you plant seeds of you know the red priestess talking about you know the prince that was promised but we don't really like that fizzles out and we don't really get an answer we have this big night king and we talk you know we flash back to the children of the forest and we have like these really weird you know mystical origin stories but then he just dies and we like don't really have an answer of like what his motivations were and so I think a part of the ending feeling so thin is not getting some of the major major things that they bring up have any sort of acknowledgement other than the big question of who's going to sit on the throne at the end they treat them like MacGuffins, and I don't feel they are. Mostly like red herrings. Also. Yeah, exactly. They, they just kept on intro- – everything that they introduced the last couple seasons ended up not really meaning anything. Right. Like the Golden Company, for I, example. Yeah. Like, I, who knows how much money they spent on just like the costuming and the right. scenes that those guys were in, and they were nothing. They didn't I matter just, at all. Yeah. Like the Iron Bank coming in and, nice. and demanding – money and then like Cersei finessing them into paying for the golden company for her like that ended up not really meaning anything that didn't matter the uh yeah and I think I don't know a lot of this season two I felt especially this last episode there were moments of just like here's action here's something he stabbed her she's dead like things like that happened but honestly I feel like I could tell you what happened in that episode in about like two breaths of just like yeah, um, you know, it's after the thing. John, nobody's happy that uh, they burned down Westeros. John kills her after some debate. Uh, and then they choose Bran. And uh, Should have had you do you the go. recap. Yeah, they choose Bran. And uh, he becomes king. And Tyrion becomes the uh, hand of the king. And, and then they move on. And Oh, and the, and the North gets to be independent. <laughs> Boom, and, we did it. Yeah. Like, Should we just end the show right here? The, there you go. Yeah, no, but like <laughs> a lot of this season and a lot, I think, the last season too, when they've been doing this, let's... Uh, let's do like the big bang in like one or two episodes, just big battles and just giant spectacle. And we'll spend a lot of money on that. And I feel that makes them go to this other thing where they have to like just do a lot of talking and other stuff over here. Maybe that lends itself to like Cersei's going to have to talk to the Iron Bank and do all this other stuff, but it really didn't go anywhere. And mm-hmm. all this supernatural stuff that they've been talking about, like and it never, nothing really goes anywhere. And it's just really this whole time it was just about we're just going to have, you know, two biggest kids on the block, you know, stab one another. 
and that's gonna or I guess one stabs the other and that's it. It is kind of wild that the Starks ended up in charge of everything. Um, but in, in terms of the ending affecting how I feel about the show and the story, because I'll I'll lump in the books as well. Um, what I tried to remind myself during my, my study up uh, weeks before this season aired was that I was probably going to be unhappy with whatever happened this season just based on how season six and seven went and this would be an ending but not the ending for a lot of the characters and storylines that we cared about in the show and and a lot of it was probably going to be unsatisfying but when you think about all of the endings that we already got we got the ending to rob stark's story back in season three for example or season four i can't remember now there were so many complete stories and complete thoughts in the show along the way that I think that it would be overall unfair to say that this last season, last two seasons, as rushed as they were, completely ruined the show as a whole. I would I would not trade experiencing this show for, for any other TV show. I, I think that it's still one of the greatest shows of all time. I wanted it to stick the landing and be easily the greatest show of all time, but I don't I don't think it did. Instead, it's just it's a singular cultural moment spanning years that we're just never going to get ever again. And I I share a lot of the same fear that uh Jamala did when you were talking to her, where she's like I I don't know if anything's going to make me feel like this again. I don't I don't know what that is because certainly the other the other big pieces of, of IP don't make me feel that way anymore. I'm super jaded about the MCU. Yeah. I'm pretty jaded about Star Wars. J.J. Abrams is going to make whatever reductive thing he's going to make to end that trilogy. Like, yeah. Star Trek is <laughs> Let me say whatever, this, like, yeah. You can watch Picard with us. <laughs> okay? Thank you. You have an yeah. open invitation. But But you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, not to be all end of a Pokemon episode. It's the friends we made along the way, but like yeah. it's it's the friends we made along the way. Supernatural is ending next year. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. It, it just does seem like overall, I'm gonna go bigger picture than Game of Thrones. Uh, just as far as geek culture and fandom goes, we are hitting the end of a lot of roads mm-hmm. and big roads. What are whatever you think about them? MCU, Supernatural. Um, I love that you're putting them on that same level. <laughs> For me, yes. Like, yeah, I mean, sure, yeah. They're the underdog in this. I said I, I love get it. it. <laughs> they're the underdog, but still. Um, or uh, or Game of Thrones. Um, though I do believe that Game of Thrones is, we're not done with it. I think We're not done with it, but it's never going to reach a climax like this ever again, I don't so think. Can I can I say my my little my little hope here, my little yeah, please, reckless speculation? Yeah. We're going to have the prequels. I'm not all that excited about them. Um, I'm going to watch them. That's great. Uh, I have been talking about uh, how I, I, for whatever reason, I kind of clung on to uh, Arya's story throughout this whole thing. I feel like she was kind of my champion character throughout this. And they've set her up, if they want, to do a whole Arya thing. Yeah. You know? Um. I think it's dangerous because I don't know if George R. R. Martin even has anything in his mind about what's West of Westeros, which is a great name for uh, a show. West of Westeros. West of Westeros is awesome. Um, but the whole Arya being an explorer and just seeing what's out there, like your mind can go wild 
with that. And I, I think that that kind of gives me hope that maybe that's something they have in their mind and they can do. Uh, if they're treating it like what they did with this last season, I feel like maybe they're just going to say, hey, here's all this potential and then do nothing with it. Um, but if they do decide to do something with that, I would tune in opening night. I'd be very happy with that. And Maisie Williams has gotten so good at that character too. She has, and that's this last season. She really found it. That's the thing that kind of makes me scared a little bit. She grew up with this show, and I think a lot of these actors are, are one of the reasons why this is probably rushed is because they had to condense it and then work around the fact that everybody knows who Kit Harrington is now, and uh, Maisie Williams is on Doctor Who. Or, um, is she? She was. Yeah, she was. Cool. She's a pretty pretty important character. Um, <laughs> okay, great. Uh, yeah, I, I just I feel like uh, if if they were able to keep her into this world, I'd be be happy with it. But I'm pretty sure she's also going to be like, you know, maybe I want to do something like modern or, you know, do something where I get to wear jeans or something instead of a sword. She and, was and in uh, that, that X-Men movie that uh, Disney refuses to put out. Oh, what? It's been like reshot multiple times. It's oh. the one that's basically a horror movie that takes place in like a, a psych ward because they oh, think that the mutants right. are we talked mentally about ill, that. but they're not. Yeah, we talked about it like two years ago. Because yeah, and then never. Out, okay. They just keep on burying it. It might end up out going out on Disney Plus. Yeah. The streaming service, which is a bummer. Um, Yeah, should we get to other reckless speculation, unanswered questions? I've gotten to a lot of mine as we as we've chatted, but if anybody has any others... If you want to go my total reckless speculation, Arya goes west of Westeros. Yeah. Okay. And she finds land out there, right? She hits a whole new continent that is way more technologically advanced than the rest of the world. Is it Westworld? It's, Westworld of Westeros? No, I don't know. It's steampunkish or something like that. Maybe we have flying ships. I don't know. Um, maybe it's like more advanced than our reality is now. But, uh, she goes there, and then that's like, oh, they don't have magic here. They have technology or something, and that's the story of her kind of like, you know, working her way through that world and, and all that. Steampunk thing might be kind of cool. I don't know, but like, yeah. I mean, and talk about like totally, I mean, you couldn't screw up, you know, Game of Thrones at that point too because you're totally just removing yourself and going a totally different direction, but yeah, that could be thing uh the only other option is they have one episode and she just falls off the edge of the world and that's it that would be i mean i'd still <laughs> watch reckless. that somehow. <laughs> yeah, it is reckless <laughs> uh, rosen did you have any i don't i have a lot of unanswered questions but Ooh, hit me with as, some unanswered questions oh. well this one's not like super thrilling this is more like but what about the bookkeeping it's like the iron bank is not getting the return on investment right I just want to point out that like things are in shambles. <laughs> like that's they also lost reckless. They a fortune. And like who's to say they'll be like that was under Cersei, so Oh yeah, that kingdom yeah. went bankrupt. No, like Bronn is the master Chapter of coin. 11. He's just going to say like yeah, we're not paying that. That's not our debt. Yeah. Bye. So that was like <laughs> a real unsexy question I was curious about. But Finances. what about the banking though? <laughs> <laughs> The economy, is it crashing? Um, I was also curious about, I mean, also in that last episode, it's, you know, the Unsullied board their ships heading towards Narth. I don't know what they're going to do there. Like, what does an army do? Like, are they just on, like, 
like R and R time? Are they on vacation? Like how how does one unwind? And can they? And I, who knows? So I just curious about them. And of course, the Dothraki who, you know, their calls are gone. Their leaders are gone. Like where do unsullied armies and Dothraki go without a leader? Is it chaos? Do they stop? What is and, you know, I'm curious about their story, too, because they were a part of this and they were part of Danny's entire upbringing into who she was as a ruler, you know, good or bad. And so I want to know what that means for them. They just go back home. I mean, obviously, Grey Room was like, I don't want your land or titles. Hard pass. <laughs> but still curious about those groups and you know, what they get to do now. Yeah, completely those are agree. giant questions. Yeah, those are that's one of the first questions I asked after we watched it. I was like, wait, so where did the Dothraki go? There's the un- such a huge portion of the early story and then they just get forgotten and like a lot of their characters don't even have names in the second half of the series. They just stop having names and lines. Well, in my mind, I, I kind of see the Dothraki kind of like Vikings. Like, they go into another area, and then they just end up being that area. So, like, you know, the Vikings go over this way, and they end up being, like, the Russian monarchy. And then they go mm. over here, and they end up being Iceland. And they go down here, and they end up being France. Like, the Dothraki probably just end up being in Westeros uh, somehow, you know? They just kind of become the population there. Yeah. Um, I don't wild know. wild I could see them taking, like, most naturally to, like, the Reach and yeah. like just be, like everything south of the Riverlands, I feel like they would be cool with. Yeah. They're probably not going to touch Dorne because it's too hot out there for their horses. Yeah, and that's the exact same region that Bronn is supposed to rule now. And I can't see him taking too kindly to just like bands of Dothraki roaming around. Well, that and going back to the Unsullied thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. They're not making more Unsullied, right? No. Correct. Okay, so they're just. How did how do they phrase it in the show? They're they're missing both pillar and stones. Yeah, I think that's what Danny asks with Sandy. Um, they aren't going to make more unsullied. Yeah, that's why it was kind know? of a baffling offer to be like you can the unsullied can be your bannerman. I was like, to what end? I guess they're just going to go and kind of like fade until they away. all die yeah. of old age. Right. I think that goes back to your point, Rose, and they just I guess retire. At yeah. that point, there's like, Early I guess retirement. That's, yeah. that's that. That's one of the other shortcomings of the show because in the book, you get a much more fleshed out idea of Grey Worm and like White Rat and some of the other Unsullied and the personalities that they develop when they're freed from having to be so boxed in and being so um, harshly Unsullied, like nameless uh, fighting machines, um, which is why they end up with the weird names like Grey Worm and White Rat, for example. Um but in the show, they never really spend any time fleshing out any of those characters, so we really don't know what they're into at the end of it. Like, hey, what are you guys into? Yeah, like... Uh, yeah, I actually, you know, I knit in my spare time, exactly. and I just, you know, I just do some smithing. Like, in the books, it becomes kind of a problem how many of them like to gamble in the fighting pits of Marine, and that's that's never touched on in the show. I was like, that would have been an interesting wrinkle. What if a lot of the Insulted were like, you know, we're not, we're not going to Westeros. Okay. I don't want to go anymore. All right. <laughs> The Unsullied go back, right? See, but back where? They can't go back to Pick where they're city. from. Pick a city. It's, they're going to Narth, where, okay. uh, where Masende's from. Grey Worm, some of them are. Grey Worm goes back to Narth, all right? He becomes like Narth's underground, ideal, private detective 
who solves all the crimes of Narth. <laughs> you know, he uses his skills. He's got a sullied past. You yeah. Know? Um, you know, and uh, obviously he's, he's, you know, he's gonna have trouble with the ladies and stuff like that. He's going got back trauma. to the whole thing. Yeah. He's when got your that. ex was like chopped down, right, on a wall, you have issues. Does exactly. Baggage. So this is uh, this is my my uh, my future for for Grey Worm is he becomes kind of like a, a PI of sorts. The spinoff we didn't know was coming. Very so Magnum PI. He's got a very nice horse. And, Grey Worm uh, PI. Exactly, and he uh, and he just solves crimes in in North in a very noir esque interior, dark hall. <laughs> One light is blinking. Dusty. Dust everywhere. Door opens. Phone rings. Yes. They have phones in North. Yeah, they have PIs. I okay. don't know. Yeah, sure. Why not? I guess that's true. Yeah. So that's that's where I'm saying Grey Worm goes. Yeah. I like that a lot. I like that so much better than. Can you see like Grey Worm doing like a Rockford on a horse, like a Mustang? Like, um, did anyone else have any other unanswered questions? I'm looking through mine. I just one of the big failings of the show picking Bran as the king at the end is it just opens up so many questions about what we don't know about him. What can he actually do? What are his powers? How much does he know? When did he know it? How is he using the information? Is he using the information? Did he design this already? Is everything preordained and he can see the future and all he can do is wait for it to happen? That was a question I, I had down to. How does how does a king govern when he kind of already knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Because the whole thing about governing, whether it's a monarchy or a different form of government or ruling, is that you make choices and they have consequences. And that's also been a theme of the show throughout the entire series is that you make a choice and it has a good or bad consequences. And even if you do the honorable thing and the honorable choice, it could still have a bad consequence. But that is just the formula to to your actions. And so when a king is making a decision and he kind of already knows what the consequence would be, how do you how do you govern? Is that better? Is that worse because it feels predestined? And when question. terrible things happen do you still believe that he's acting in your best interest? Like I was saying, like if, it, if a famine hits, even if it's like a, like a seasonal one that's just caused by like they had an especially hot summer and none of the crops survive. Like, did he know that was going to happen? Why wasn't he more prepared for it? Like when, when bad things happen, I can't see the small folk standing by King Bran the Broken. It's such a weak position politically to be like, I know everything that's going to happen. A lot of it's going to be terrible because this is a brutal world still. And me being king isn't going to change that. And th- and then what? I don't know. It leaves me. I also don't think you're giving him any benefit of the doubt, but I'm not. He hasn't done it. What? He hasn't done anything. Well, he hasn't done anything. He's not. He just got. He just became king. But he was. He was on. He was fighting with the army of the living and he still didn't really do anything except sit under a weirwood tree and be bait. He was where he needed to be. Oh, my God. This is the problem with all like omniscience or uh, like this. This is the Doctor Strange problem from Infinity War. Like I looked at all the futures and there's only one where blah, blah, blah. Like, dude, give me a break. That's really what you believe about the nature of time. That there were infinite ways for this to go. And you just happen to choose one and then justified it by saying that. Anyway, I don't want to talk about Infinity War anymore. (laughs) You brought it up, man. I know. I'm sorry. (laughs) I haven't I haven't seen um, Endgame yet. Okay. Honestly, I think that's all I have. Does anyone have anything else? 
Like generally. <laughs> I think I got to every I think I'm I have given this everything me. that I have. I'm surprised you got me go that far. I got to Grey Worm PI, I guess. That's that's where I'm yeah. that's where I'm at now with the show. Um what's next? What's the what's the next thing that people are gonna or at least we could obsess over? Well, I've hinted at Picard. Picard. Yeah, I mean, I, I I feel like that's cheating a little bit because it's not very, you know, Game of Thronesy or something like that. Um, I can just say stuff that I'm excited for. I'm excited that Lucifer is back on Netflix. That's mm. a very good show. Um, and Picard's going to come out. Not as excited about Discovery. Um, yeah, and and Are you caught up on that? Yeah. Oh wow! And you're not excited. No, not as the side of everybody else. I understand why people like it. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, save that. We're going to do a special Discovery okay. episode. Watchmen, I think, that was mentioned or thrown out there. I think that's a worthy one. To yeah, that was Rosen's out. pick when we asked her before yeah. the show. Yeah, I'm excited for Watchmen. And like I said, Alan Moore's graphic novel, it was one of you know the first big, lengthy, meaty graphic novels that I've read. Um, and, you know, it was exactly that. It was very gritty and abrasive um even more so than you know the other darker leaning comics that i had read up to that point and so i just have a strong connection to that there's like something almost prideful about getting through something that's like gets you to your core that is just like so uncomfortable with the dark places that it goes and then the movie happened and it was you know visually cool it was cool to see those characters on the page on the screen just interesting and excited to see what a series treatment would be like, especially now that we are in an era where, you know, TV is just as cinematic and treated, you know, typically at just as well um, as it would be a movie. And you have a little bit more breathing room and space to explore the things that, you know, a movie might not be able to. So I'm excited to see what they do with Watchmen. You know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but it should be cool. Rosen, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening to our Thrones coverage. And like I said in the intro, we will be back on our regular beat very soon. And if you're out in Spokane, you can find us at Lilac City Comic Con the first weekend of June. That's coming up very soon. I also wanted to pause for a moment and say thank you to George R. R. Martin, the cast and the crew of Game of Thrones, and all the people who made this wild Thrones ride a possibility. I griped at times. I was exhausted. I was exasperated. But it's truly been just so much fun to celebrate this show and this story. So thank you to all of them for entertaining us and giving us something to care so much about and podcast so much about. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to hear us talk about non-Thrones things as well, uh, make sure you're subscribed to the feed and follow us on social media. Just search for NW Nerd on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. There's tons of nerdiness for you to go and hit that like button on. So give us a follow. And with that... See you next episode, nerds. Just dig deep. Does it need to be more Batman or more? More just like, more from like just your core. Just like squeeze it out of you. (laughs) You're a Drogon. (laughs) Just blast that throat. That'd be terrible. All men must podcast. Yeah, that's the one.